0: If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up or turn it on and go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to read and look at verses 1 through 14. Philippians 3 verses 1 through 14. If you're there, say I'm there. This is what the word of the Lord says. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is of no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself... ...has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do... ...forgetting what lies behind... ...and straining forward to what lies ahead... ...I press on towards the goal for the prize... ...of the upward call of God... ...in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we gather tonight... ...for our last night together... Here at Impact, I pray and I plead that you would open our eyes to your word and to the things that you would want us to see in it. Would you meet us in this place and create in us an insatiable desire for more of you? May lesser treasures fade in light of the greatest treasure, And that is knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you make that real in the lives of these students? Not church talk. Not cliche. Not things that we know we're supposed to talk about but we don't know the reality of. Lord, make it real to us tonight. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to ask if they would turn the lights up just a little bit where I can see your faces. Yeah. I want to see your faces. So I have three children. I have Caleb, who's 13, uh, here in a few weeks. I'm about to have a teenager. Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, I have two daughters, one who is seven, Kaylee, and then I have Kyra, who's three. And when my daughter, Kaylee, was three, four years old, uh, we went to my grandmother's for an Easter egg hunt. This is kind of like a family tradition. After every Easter, you know, church services family from all over. We come to my grandmother's, we have, a, we have a big dinner, and then we have a big Easter egg hunt. And so what happens is we send all the kids inside to the house, and the adults, we go out, and we hide eggs, and, you know, we kind of get it set up. And then, of course, they go out, and, you know, we count them down, three, two, one, you know, and they go kill each other, and it's awesome. So... so this one Easter, right, we're, we're setting all the eggs up. And my grandmother, you know, year after year, she gets a little bit more festive. And so she had like a, a, like a little wood bunny laid against a tree. And she had this big monster plastic egg that was, so she was going all out, right, decorating for Easter. And, um, and, and so we were getting ready to send the kids out. We we're like, okay, listen, you know, don't, don't kill anybody. All right, no eye gouging, no headlocks, no choke holds. Ready, go. And off they went. Okay, and, and so I'm watching all the kids, but I'm watching my kid. I'm watching Kaylee, my four-year-old at the time, and I'm watching her. She's, you know, going out and putting eggs in her basket, and, and I look at her, and I watch her. She's doing good, and so I just kind of scan the rest of the yard, make sure nobody died, and then when I turn back to see my daughter, I notice that she had put the decorative egg in her basket. In fact, if you take a look at the picture here... Um, She put the decorative egg in her basket. She, she saw the big one and said, I want that one. Um, she had no more room for other eggs either, by the way, right? She, it was full. And I was like, oh, honey, that's good. But listen, that's not a real egg, okay? We need to take this one out so you can keep going, so you can keep putting the real eggs in. But, but here's what's interesting is after this happened, because I'm a preacher and I always think about illustrations, um, Immediately, something stuck out to me. And I thought, you know what? I'm glad my daughter went after the big egg. None of the other kids did that. None of the other kids, maybe it's because they're smarter, but we're not going to go into that. So none of the other kids saw that egg and thought, I'm going after that one. Like, that must be the prize egg, right? My daughter sees the big one, and she says, I want that one. Right, I want that egg. Now, this may cost me as a teenager when she gets older, but, but the, the, the idea is this. I, I, want, I want my children, and let's just be honest, I, I want my own heart to chase after the big one, the one that matters in life. And, and let me tell you what I think the connection is here: is I, I think we have a world full of people living their lives, stuffing the basket full of the little eggs that don't matter. And and unfortunately, in our churches, it's not much different. We're running around like chickens with our head cut off, trying to stuff into our little baskets of joy all these little eggs that will never satisfy these hearts of ours. And instead of running after the big one, the one that really will give us joy, the one that really will satisfy us eternally, we go after the little ones. And let me just go ahead and leave all suspicion out. The big egg that you're called to run after, the one that you're called to to put at the center of your life, is relationship with Jesus Christ. Relationship with God. Communion with God. Fellowship with God. That's the big egg that you were made and saved to run after. And I I want to challenge you to quit running after and stuffing your life Full of the little eggs that will never ultimately satisfy you, you are made and saved for this relationship, and what happens is is we start settling for far less than what God made us for. We start settling for popularity or sex or 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 having status or popularity or or, or position or power or possessions or you name it we look for Anything and everything to satisfy these hearts of ours. And yet, that's exactly what we're doing if we're running after anything but God. We're settling. And and if I could do anything in your heart tonight, it would give you a desire for more. To want more than the little ones. And to run after God. You see, Jesus addresses this issue. He hits on this issue of how we settle for less than the very thing we're made for. In fact, he gives it to us in a picture of the last judgment. and Matthew chapter 7, you're probably familiar with the story. I'll hit it briefly. Jesus is closing out the Sermon on the Mount, and he begins to paint a picture of what the judgment day will look like, which, by the way, should cause all of us to go, oh, okay, this is important. And Jesus says this in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. By the way, that should make you lean in a little bit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I I see two distinct groups in this picture here that Jesus paints. There's a group of people who think that their beliefs are going to give them access into the kingdom of God. They're going to say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, meaning they're going to have some theology right. They're going to have some right theology. They're going to know that Jesus is Lord. They might even say, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe Jesus was raised from the grave. I I, I believe that, you know, uh, there's a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They might say right beliefs, and yet Jesus tells us here that right beliefs alone is not enough to enter the kingdom. That should make you lean in. In fact, we should already know this though, right? Because the Bible tells us in James 2.19, you believe God is one, you do well. The demons believe this and shudder. They're not saved because of what they know. Right beliefs alone will not bring you into the kingdom of God. In fact, I want you to look at your neighbor and say that. Right beliefs alone will not bring you into the kingdom of God. Let your neighbor know. It's kind of important. Okay, now let's look at this second group. Let's look at the second group. Not only is there going to be a group of people who say, Lord, Lord, so they're going to get some theology right. They, they might get a few right beliefs, but there's a second group that he says is going to be listing out their behaviors, They're going to tout their resume. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? In other words, Jesus, didn't we have all the right behaviors and do it for your name? Didn't we put an X on our hand in your name? Didn't we go to church and retreats and camps and didn't we fill the blank in in your name? And we'll tout are behaviors to him. And yet, he will once again look at them and say, that's not enough to enter the kingdom of God. Beliefs and behaviors alone are not enough to enter the kingdom of God. I'm not saying beliefs and behaviors don't matter. In fact, they do an incredibly amount, incredible amount. You, you, your beliefs matter because you don't get to make up your own version of God. Okay, You don't get to make him up in your image and worship him. So what you believe does matter, and your behavior matters. We talked about that today, this morning, right? Your behavior matters because it's the evidence that you belong to him. It's the fruit of who you are. It's not the root of salvation. It's the fruit of salvation. But Jesus says this, it's not your beliefs and behaviors, it's knowing me and being known by me. Depart from me, I never, what does he say? knew you. He's not going, "Uh, I'm clueless about who you are. He's not saying he's ignorant of your existence. He's saying, we don't have a relationship. I don't know you. There, There is no relationship. There's no communion. There's no fellowship with us. I never knew you. See, here's my fear. There are many in this room right now who you're banking on beliefs and behaviors being enough. My question is, is do you know him? Do you know him? I don't mean do you know about him? I mean are you walking in fellowship with him? Are you walking in relationship with him? See this is what Paul gets into in our passage. In Philippians 3, the first six verses, if you notice what he does, he lists out his resume of all of his beliefs and all of his behaviors. He's saying, if anybody's going to get in on beliefs and behaviors, top dog here, buddy. You, my resume will squash yours every time, he says. Notice what he says. He, he goes down the line. He says, hey, look, uh, I was circumcised. I was of the people of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of all Hebrews. When it comes to being a fa- the law, I was a Pharisee, top dog. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. As to righteousness, my behavior, blameless. Paul says, if you want to go toe-to-toe with me on beliefs and behaviors, I've got you beat. And yet he says this in verse 7. But whatever gain I had in those things, I count as loss. They account to nothing. They account and add up to nothing. I count them as loss. For what reason, Paul? For the sake of Christ. Indeed, he says, watch this. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, Paul's. I count everything as loss. What do you think he means by everything? What do you think it means in the Greek to say everything? It means... Everything, that's right. You're good, right? You even know Greek. Everything, it means everything. Everything is loss. Not some things. I count everything as loss, and this is what he counts as loss, for a surpassing worth. There is something that exists that has a worth attached to it that surpasses every other worth. You know what he says it is? I count it all as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He does not say knowing about Christ Jesus, or that would just be more beliefs. Everything is counted as loss for one all-surpassing worth. Here it is. Here it is. And right now there's a battle for your heart about whether or not you go agree with him that it's true. That Jesus Christ is the all-surpassing worth above every other worth in this world. I know we're in church. And so it would be really easy for all of us to go, yeah, of course we believe that too. Yes, amen. Preacher, go. Here's what I want to ask you. Does your heart believe that's true? Does your heart believe that's true? And and don't look at what you tell yourself. Look at what you love. Do you treasure Christ as a treasure above every other treasure? He keeps going in case we were confused in the least bit. He says, I count it all as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, for him, for him, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. You used the word rubbish recently? You know what the word rubbish means in the Greek? Literally, it means excrement. Dung. Don't know those definitions, talk to your youth pastor after the message. He says everything, this was meant to shock the readers. This was meant to have a shock effect to those who are reading this. Every other thing in life is excrement. And here's what he means by that. Compared to my love for him, everything else appears as hatred. It's not that I actually hate those things. It's not that I devalue everything else. It's that I put proper value on the greatest treasure. That's the key. Everything is rubbish. In order that I may, be, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Now watch what he says. He's about to gospel you up right here. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Let me pause here. You have to get this or we can't move any further. Lock in with me here. This is the gospel. This is life and death. This is eternal life and eternal condemnation. This is sheep and goats, wheat and weeds. Getting this is everything, okay? Paul says, I do not have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. What he's saying is, is I can't obey my way into right standing with God. I don't have a righteousness by law keeping. I, don't, I can't take the list and go, okay, check, 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 check. I've done them all. I've got a right standing with God. God loves me. He says, I don't have a righteousness that comes from the law, but I have a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus. A righteousness from God that depends on faith. What does that mean? Here's what it means. You are called to live a life of perfection. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, Jesus says. And you're not, and I'm not. And God doesn't wink and go, oh, that's cool. We'll act like it never happened. No, instead what he did is he sent his son into the world to live a perfectly righteous life, the lamb without blemish, in your place. And then he went to a cross where he drank the cup of God's wrath dry in your place so that when you come by faith, faith that just means I'm pushing all the chips forward on Jesus it's Jesus or bust are you Jesus or bust or are you holding out that maybe God likes you because of how good you are because of all the promises you've made for what you're going to do for him it's Jesus or bust and here's what happens when you come to Jesus and you said I've got nothing it's you if it's not you I'm condemned here's what the Bible says The righteousness of Christ, all of his obedience, is put into your account as if you had done it. Because all of your sin was put into his account as if he had done it. You could slap your neighbor a high five and say, that's good news. That's good news. Is that good news to anybody here? Listen, this is the free gift of God for all who believe. If you get this wrong, you get it all wrong. You miss it all. It's faith in Christ. It's faith that his righteousness covers us. Because our sin was punished on the Lord Jesus. And his obedience was given to us as if we had done. This is what the Bible calls justified. We're justified before God. We're justified before God. Now I want you to catch now what Paul says. Watch what he did. Watch what he says. So this is your legal standing. You have a righteousness with God now by faith. You have a legal standing. You have union with God. You're a child of God. You're adopted into the family forever. Forever. This gift is not one he takes back. He's not like us. Watch what he says. Paul. I love this. Watch what Paul says. But that which comes through faith in Jesus, the end of verse 10, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, dash, watch this, that I may know him. Did you catch that? That I may know him. He changes my legal status and your legal status. When you come by faith and he declares you righteous and just So that you may know him. Not so you can believe in him. So that you can know him. Not so that one day you can get to heaven and see all your dead relatives. So that you will know him. So that you will fellowship with him. And commune with him. And walk day by day with him. All of this gift of righteousness is so that you can be restored to what you were made for. You were made to walk with your God. You were made to abide in him. To love him. For him to be your treasure. So that everything else would be rubbish in comparison to him. And it required the work of Christ in our stead to make it possible. Listen to what he says. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. what we're waiting on. We're waiting on a day where we'll be raised to live eternally with him. Saved to sin no more. To walk with God for the rest of our days in the city of God. Now watch how Paul wraps this up. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. I'm not not already perfect. I'm not raised from the dead yet. But I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You know why I press forward to walk with God, to know him in his resurrection? You know why we strive and why we live to fellowship with him? Because he's made us his own. He calls you his own. He says, you belong to me. First Peter 2.9 says, you are, you are a chosen race. You are a people for his own possession so that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You belong to him. Jesus calls you his own. Watch what he says. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own But one thing I do, here's what I do, in light of all of my imperfections and in light of all of Christ's love for me and grace to me. If you're a Christian, he's talking about your life. What should you do? What one thing must you do? He says this, forgetting what lies behind. Some of you have yet to do that. Some of you still drag around all the sin that Christ atoned for because you're trying to self-atone with guilt. You think if you feel bad enough about it, then you'll, you'll have paid your price. Friends, that's not the gospel. The gospel says Jesus paid the price for you. Some of you still carry around all the baggage from your mistakes and your failures and the things that have happened to you. Paul says this, I forget what lies behind. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think Paul needed to do that? Because when you look at what his past was, guys, he persecuted those who loved Jesus. He saw to it that they were imprisoned and even killed. He needed to not look backwards because if he looked backwards, he couldn't go where God wanted him to go. He certainly couldn't be an apostle to the Gentiles if he lived looking backwards. Forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize. There's a prize And that's the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Friends, He is the treasure of greatest price. Some of you think that the way I'm talking right now is so weird because you have no clue about what I'm talking about. This is so foreign to Your understanding of being a Christian, because it's been believe and behave, believe and behave. Our Our churches teach a gospel of believe and behave and believe and behave and believe this and behave this way, and that's what it means. And friends, I'm here to tell you, beliefs and behaviors matter, but here's what is uppermost, treasuring him, loving him, walking with him, fellowshipping with him. That's what it's about. So if this sounds foreign to you, let it wreck you a little bit. Let's see if our hearts match those who knew this, who tasted it. Let's peek in on somebody who tasted it. David was known and called a man after God's own heart. Look on the screen with me. Psalm 63, verse 1. I love this. Listen listen to David's heart. See if you can get a picture of David's heart. This is what he says. Oh, God, God. You are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Oh friends, don't you want your heart to echo that? Don't you want some of that to be real for you too? When when David says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I don't, I don't drag my hind end kicking and screaming like, what do I got to do this for? I seek you earnestly. Every fiber of my heart. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You know what he's saying? You, you, imagine somebody in the desert who's been out there in the wilderness. No water. What is their flesh desperate for? Water for life itself. It is heaving it is desperate and this is what he says that's what my soul is for you for your presence oh god you are my god earnestly i seek you he says it again in psalm 42 1 and 2 very similar he says this as a deer pants for flowing streams so pants my soul for you oh god my soul thirsts for god for the living god when shall i come and appear before God. Can I just ask you, is there anything in those words that resemble your heart? Is there any sense in which your own soul goes, I must have you? I need you. When I was in the Army, I left to go to the Army after high school, and um, ironically, after basic training, My wife, now my wife, we started dating. Like we were from the same area and we hung out and we're good friends. And then I, I left and then we started dating. It was really convenient. And guys, listen, I got stationed eight hours away. I was in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And can I tell you something? I longed to be with her. I longed to see her. I longed to talk to her. I thought about her All the time. I would hear songs on the radio and start thinking about her. I I would say, I'll drive all night for an hour with her. It's only a shadow of where our hearts should be longing for God. That's just a shadow. He's the substance of that kind of desire. And listen... The absence of that kind of longing in your heart for God should lead you on a quest to say, God, do that in me. I don't see it, but I want it. I haven't felt that, but I know, I know it's possible. I, I need it. Let the absence of it stir you to seek it. Because if you taste and see, there's no going back. You can't settle for believing and behaving any longer. You've got to have the living water. You've got to eat the bread of life. And you'll quit settling for the crumbs. You want the big egg. You'll quit stuff in your life with the little ones. Friends, I want to tell you. I'm not talking abstract things. This is real life stuff. It's available to you. My question, do you want that? Are you willing to put on the line everything that should be called rubbish so that you can pursue that which matters most? Are you willing to grapple with treasures that you've elevated above Christ so that he can go to the place of prominence in your affections? Charles Spurgeon famously said, communion with Christ is a certain cure for every ill Communion with Christ is a certain cure. He meant an absolute cure for every ill. Well, if that's true, we should be able to fill the blanks in. Instead of ill, we should be able to put real stuff there, right? So let's talk about it. Communion with Christ is a certain cure for loneliness. Communion with Christ is a certain cure for anxiety, depression, a certain cure for insecurity. It's a certain cure for lust. It's a certain cure for pride. It's a certain cure for a weak faith. Communion with Christ. Fellowship with Him. Relationship with Him. Face to faceness with Him is a certain cure for everything you'll face in this life. I promise you. Are you pursuing it? Because it has to look like something, doesn't it? It has to look like something. When Jesus says, abide in me, that has to look like something lived out, doesn't it? Let's talk about what it looks like, and we'll wrap up. Here's what it looks like to daily abide in him, to seek him. I'm going to give you three aspects, ready? Walking by faith, focused time, intentional actions. To abide in Christ daily. Requires walking by faith, focused time, intentional actions. Let me hit this fast and I'm going to be done. Walking by faith means I am walking in light of the gospel every day. You know why I have to do that? You know why I have to wake up and the first thing I have to do is I have to start preaching to myself long before I start praying. Because because if I don't preach to myself before I start praying, I don't think God really wants to hear from me. If I'm being honest with you, I don't think he's got time for me. I think he's probably shaking his head, he's rolling his eyes, he's going, oh you, what do you want? If I'm being honest, I've got to preach the gospel to myself. I need to remind myself that I am justified before God because of Jesus. I've got to remind myself that Christ reigns and rules and is over all things this very second. I have to remind myself that the Holy Spirit lives within me and He is shaping me and sharpening me and He's pushing me to see Christ and that God the Father wants me to come. He delights in my coming to Him. I have to remind myself that God wants relationship with me. He's not bothered by me. In fact, He takes great pleasure when I come. And here's why I have to do that. If I don't preach these things to myself, listen, I don't know about you, but I'm really leaky. You know what I'm saying? By leaky, I forget things really quick. Gospel amnesia. I get some gospel amnesia. I start forgetting who I am. I start forgetting whose I am really quick. Because if I'm left to myself, I'll think about how all the ways I failed yesterday and why God probably wants nothing to do with me today. But the gospel says that's not true. The gospel says, no, he is for me. I can't obey my way into being loved anymore. And I can't send my way into being loved any less. He is for me. And he wants me to come to him. You have to walk by faith. Now here's what you also have to do. You have to set focused time. If you want to have relationship with God, you have to set time to pursue it. How many of you here have some really close friends in your life? Raise your hand. Okay, let me, tell you, let me tell you how you developed a close friend, right? Not crazy rocket science here, but you spent time with them. You, you had time with them, whether it be at school, whether it be they're, they're, they're working with you, or they go to church with you. You have spent significant time with them. You didn't read somebody's profile and go, they're my friend now, I call them my friend, because you read something about them. You spend time together. Focused time with God is an absolute necessity if we want to experience communion with him. And it just doesn't mean get up and do your Bible study in the morning. That's certainly a necessary thing. Focused time. But listen, but it's also learning throughout our day to cry out to the one who's always with us. There's never a moment where the living God is not with you. To call upon, to cry out to, to ask for strength, to ask for wisdom. You are one of seven billion souls on the planet, but you are not lost in the shuffle. He knows every hair on your head. And he is for you and he loves you. If you could envision the reality of God's nearness to you, you would never go hours without talking to him. So focus time. Is how you draw closer to the Lord. Now let me give you the last one. Intentional actions. The Lord in His grace has given us ways that which we can draw near to Him. And if you are not engaging in those ways, let me me inform you of something here. You won't draw closer to Him. Reading and listening to His Word is how we are transformed and changed. It's how we come to know who he is and his character. It's how we come to understand his love for us and his plans for our lives. It's how we learn how we're called to live in the world that he made and us who he made for the world. It's in his word that we hear him, it's in his word that we meet with him. The word is like a burning bush, it's where he is speaking to his people. We commune with him through prayer. Can I tell you something? Prayer is vital. And I don't know about you, but I struggle sometimes with prayer. Because you know what I do? I start praying in ruts. I start praying in ruts. I'll just repeat what I've always said. i just go through. I, just, I start rehearsing something, and I forget. I'm not even talking to God right now. I'm just talking. So can I give you a piece of advice that has helped me tremendously? Listen, pray until you start praying. You with me? Pray until you get out of your, I I always say this, and all the formalities, and lock yourself into this reality. Eric, he's here. He's right here. Just talk to him. He's not impressed by your big words. You don't have to give him a detailed, point-by-point replay of your day. He was watching. He was with you. No, tell your father that you love him. Confess that you often don't love him enough. And ask him to be your refuge and strength, your help, your wisdom. Pray until you start praying. Third, get in environments like this, but also get in environments much smaller than this and walk with people who are also pursuing communion with God. You were, you were made to strengthen each other in this endeavor. You need each other. Your fellowship with God is greatly enhanced by one another. If you think you can go on an island and it's just going to be you and God, and that's the way God designed it, you're missing it. The church of Jesus is meant to be people who are walking with the Lord individually and walking with the Lord together. So you're made and saved for each other as well. Let me give you a fourth one. We talked about it this morning. you got to fight sin. If you want closeness with God, listen, you got to fight sin. Sin is the enemy of your joy in Christ. It wants to steal it. And you've got to do battle with the idols of your heart. That keep wanting to make treasures out of lesser things. Now, let me close with this. 1 Peter 3.18. Here's some great news. I want to give you some great news. First Peter 3.18. Peter writes these incredible words. And I want you to hear them for yourself. It says, Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. By the way, he was the righteous one. We are the unrighteous. Christ suffered once for sins. At Calvary, your lust and your anger and your rebellion and your loose lips and your lies and your cheating was crucified on the head of the Savior as if he had done them. He suffered once paid in full. the righteous one for the unrighteous. By the way, which one are you in the story? The unrighteous. Which one is Jesus the righteous? Jesus for Eric. Jesus for Evan. Jesus, for you. Why? Why would he do such a thing? Why would he give such grace? Why would he pay any attention to a wretch like me? Peter says that he might bring us to God. The intent of the cross of Christ was to bring you to God. Not to a belief in him. But to relationship. There is no having it apart from Christ. But if you have it, there is no joy that compares. Count everything as rubbish. That you may gain Christ. Strive Forgetting what lies behind and running after what lies ahead. The upward call of God. in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. So Lord, that's what we want tonight. It's what we need. God, you know how burdened my heart is that these students... Would see. I pray you would remove the scales from our eyes that this would become real to us. This wouldn't just be words that we're listening to in a message, but we would hear it as your words to us. That you would radically reorient our lives on Christ tonight. That we would really believe that having Jesus at the center is the best possible life for all of us. And only you can do this work, Lord. This is a work of your spirit in the hearts of your people. Oh, that Jesus would be treasured in this group here. Oh, what would you do in this area, God? If our hearts were gripped by Jesus, if we would make lesser treasures, less in our life, if we would count them as rubbish, that Christ would be uppermost, how might you be glorified in and through the lives of these men and these women, these young adults here, God, that you would do this? I pray that there would be some idols smashed tonight. I pray that there would be some lesser treasures removed from the thrones of our heart. Christ would be uppermost. Jesus, only you satisfy. Only you satisfy these hearts of ours. You made us for yourself. And our hearts will be Restless. Until they find their rest in you. Do this, we pray. Do this in us, we beg. We plead for your glory, for our joy. In Jesus' name.